Good morning. It's good to be with all of you again. Thank you for that, BJ, that smile. You know, I noticed all of you are sitting in the exact same places you were the last time I was here. Thank you for doing that. I mean, it, it just makes the place uh, more familiar to me. We're going to be in the book of Revelation. Of course, chapter 4 will start, but before we get into our text, I have a question for you. Are you ready for change? A change is coming, a big change. Now, some of you may be groaning like, the last two years was about all the change I want. Uh, I mean, can we just return to normal? Well, let me word it differently. Are you ready for a promotion? Are you ready to leave the church age behind you and enter a new age to be with Christ? He's coming. He's coming quickly. And when he does, everything is going to change. Last week we completed chapter 3. And after that, in the book of Revelation, you do not see the church as we know it on earth again. Apparently, for those in the church, which is you and I, a change has occurred. We can look at our slide. I assume the, that will do it. Yes. This scroll, you should become familiar with uh, this bigger scroll, which contains a smaller scroll in it. But see that blue arrow right at, between that first big seven? Uh, Pointing upward, as it should. Rapture. Now the rapture is not specifically documented in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to spend my time there. But I believe the return of Christ is imminent. Now some believe Christ returns later in the timeline of this book. And I want to say... That's okay. That's okay. You'll hear more from Dave last, uh, next week regarding alternative views of when the rapture occurs. But, you know, whatever you think, whatever you've concluded in your own study of Scripture in regards to the return of Christ, it's not going to change a thing as to what's going to happen. He's unstoppable. And one day he will reign in a very expressed way here on earth. Are you ready? Just one last point before we get into our text, Revelation chapter 4. I don't want you to miss Jesus in the study of the book of Revelation. There are some really interesting things in this book. 
but Jesus is the best. You know, you could look at the book of Revelation as a photo album of Jesus. There's pictures of him in Revelation you won't see anywhere else. You won't find them in the Gospels. Did you pause and look at the pictures of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1? He's there. Two, three. He's there. Let's read Revelation 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first vo voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. You've seen our outline of the book, just three points. What you have seen, covered in chapter one. The things that are, chapters two and three. And now, chapter four, through the end of the book, it's prophetic. The things which will take place. Come up here, our text says, and I will show you what must take place after these things. You know, we are being invited, along with John, to take a look and to behold. You know, unless you look, unless you look, you don't behold. In Revelation chapter 1, we saw that, that John heard a voice like a trumpet, and he turned to see. And what did he see? The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself glorified, and he fell down like a dead man. You know, I admire John. After an experience like that, he hears that voice again, the same voice. Come up here and I'll show you. His attention is rewarded, we see. He sees a door standing open in heaven. And he has the courage to respond. You know, I ponder in, in my own spiritual walk, how many opportunities might I have missed to look and behold? Like Martha, distracted by so many things, so many things, when a door stands open. How many times have I missed the voice of my shepherd? I know his voice, and you do as well. Come up here. Come close. I have something to show you. Come to me. Learn from me. 
My yoke is easy and my load is light. Saints, you're invited. You're invited to approach the throne of grace. For us today, there is a door standing open, just like John's, with an invitation come up here. We read in the book of James, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. You draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Who's making the first move in that deepening relationship? God will respond to your desire to be near to him. Make it your ambition like the Apostle Paul did, to know him. The song goes, One day Jesus will call my name. As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to him, there'll be no big change on the day that Jesus calls my name. You know, in my studies of the book of Revelation so far, anyway, I found personally this to be the most challenging. You know, I've resolved in 2022, I don't want to miss those open doors. I don't want to have his call unheeded in my life. Come up here. I have something to show you. I spent some fruitful time in the transitional weeks between 2021 and 2022 working on something I call my digital archive. You know, it's a digital record on my computer that documents my life in many ways. You know, well, most, most of my life, I mean, maybe the last 40 years. Uh, before then, the world wasn't quite so digital, if you can believe that. I mean, I'm looking at some of the youth here. I mean, there was a time when cameras actually had film. There was a time when, like, vinyl was all there was. Right? So, the early years of my life are not documented nearly as well as some of the later years. But, you know, many of you are represented in my digital archive. Imagine that. You know, it might be an occasional photo, maybe a wedding we attended together. Maybe you're mentioned on a staffing roster of some ministry that occurred years ago. Maybe I have an audio recording of your, your testimony given right here in this baptistry. There'll be one here tonight. It'll probably be recorded. Or maybe it's you singing in the Christmas choir. But as I reviewed my digital archive... 
I found it inspiring to think, you know, some doors I didn't miss. Some invitations I was there. Those were the better days. You see why I resolve not to miss any in 2022? Revelation 4 marks this abrupt transition in the book of Revelation. The church age comes to the end. The ministry of the church on earth will come to the end. The night has come when no man can work. You know, there was a time in my youth where I thought the Lord will certainly return before Bill McDonald dies. I said youth. And as I reflect on that thought, I thought, why did I think that? I was young. That's all I can say. But no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. But we should be ready every day. Verses 2 through 5. After the invitation to come up here, we're going to see what happens. Immediately, it says in verse 2, I was in the Spirit, and I beheld a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before that throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Immediately, John says, I was in the spirit. John transitions from the physical realm into the spiritual realm. They're very different, you know. And in the spirit, he will have visions and see things no one has ever seen. And John is going to be challenged to express these things in words. This explains why I think there's so much figurative language in the book of Revelation. He's been commanded, we saw in chapter 1, to write down what he sees, and so he will. And we have been exhorted in that same chapter to read and to listen and to heed. And so we will. You know, the figurative language in Revelation makes the reading of it difficult. But I think we can handle this. The Bible itself will help us uh, decode and understand this book. John beholds a throne in heaven. So, standing there. So what is it? It's for the king of heaven. And who is that? 
His attention quickly transitions from the throne to the one, capital O, who's sitting on the throne. John is going to attempt to describe God the Father. You might be thinking, good luck. So what does he do? Analogies is the best he can do. And so we're going to have many expressed analogies in the book of Revelation. God's appearance to John while he's in the spirit is like a jasper stone, he says. I've checked with an English major who happens to be my daughter. He's like a jasper stone. You know what they call that? Simile. Simile. God is not a jasper stone man sitting on a throne. We're going to find he's holding a book in his right hand, which is this one, right? Does that mean he has a left hand? Is that what we're going to see when we see God who is spirit in heaven? Figurative language. John attempting to describe someone indescribable. You know, I have an important question for you before we continue in our text. Do you think that's how God will appear in heaven? Jasper Stone man with right and left hands taking a seat on a throne. You know, this is where students of Revelation need to be ever so careful to differentiate what to take literally and what is symbolic or analogy. You know, in chapter 1, we saw Jesus with a robe and a golden sash. In chapter 5, which we'll get to, he's a slain lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Well, what is he? Robe with golden sash? Slain lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Now, I brought a book with me. You can see it in the slide, those of you at home. It's a children's book. See the title? Quick as a Cricket. As simile. I've read this book probably a couple dozen times, at least. I noticed uh, as I was bringing it here, there's actually teeth marks (laughs) in the corner here. I'll let you look at it later. Maybe those trained in forensics could verify. Right? You can tell it's, it's, it's well-worn. But it's a book about a boy who's as quick as a cricket. But he's also as slow as a snail. He's as small as an ant. And he's as large as a whale. Well, how can he be all those things? Literally, he's none of those things. But figuratively, 
each of those things describe some element and those who are parents realize. Brush your teeth slow as a snail, right? Take out the garbage. I'm as small as an ant, I can't do it, right? I mean, each one of these things describes some element of this boy. Golden sash, hair white as wool, slain lamb, seven eyes, seven horns. Don't be bothered by this figurative language. That God is described as, or that the Spirit of God is described by seven spirits that are lamps of fire. Does that surprise you? Seven, we've already heard, it's the number of completion. The entire Holy Spirit, when it says the seven spirits of God. Remember the day of Pentecost? Lamps of fire? What happened then? Weren't there flames, tongues of fire that rested above the heads of the disciples and they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Figurative language. So now the 24 elders, let's think about them. White robes, wouldn't you expect it? Only holy things can dwell near to God. Thrones and crowns means they rule. We will see later in chapter 5 that these elders have bowls of incense. Like when we studied the book of Leviticus and saw there the priests had incense. You know, after some study, I've concluded that these 24 elders are a special creation of God. They're different from the multitude of angels that populate heaven. You know, additionally, I noted in Revelation 21, the 12 tribes of Israel are mentioned. And the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Math majors, 12 plus 12, accountant, 24. Not only do I believe these 24 elders are a special creation of God, uh, but they represent those tribes and those apostles, those saints from both Old and New Covenants. They're a representative of all of redeemed humanity right there near the throne of God with those four living creatures. I was struck afresh. that we, Christian, redeemed humanity, are so near to the throne of God. Christian, you are so valuable to God. So valuable. Don't forget it. Don't listen to Satan, the accuser of the brethren. He would tempt you to deny it. You're so precious. John understood this, the deep, deep love of Jesus. 
he could just rest on his bosom. You know, at times, I find the love of children actually reminds me of the love of God. It's generous. It's unconditional. It's pure. I see Jesus in children. It's one reason I've been involved in children's ministries for decades. I see Jesus in children. Talk to Bob Johansson if you're interested in children's ministries. I was given this just last week. I'm a Sunday school teacher. It's a simple picture. Colorful, huh? Just, I don't know if you can see that. It's some elephants just enjoying their day. One of my students gave me this. A masterpiece to me. Why? What does it represent? The unconditional, generous love of a child. Like God, wouldn't you say? You're precious to him. Don't forget it. Verses 6 through 8. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, creatures full of eyes in the front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion. And the second was like a calf. And the third creature had the face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like like, simile, right? A flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings and full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. There's a variety of artistic uh, renditions of these four living creatures. I'm not going to show you any of them. (laughs) We need to concentrate on the symbolism here. They're full of eyes, front and behind. Are you starting to decode Revelation? What does that mean? They perceive all. They're enumerated like a lion, like a calf, like a man, like an eagle. I could speculate on why these four. One suggestion is each of those rule within their own dominions. But let me comment on speculation. We're going to get a little of that in the book of Revelation. It's okay to speculate. As long as you acknowledge to yourself and to others, I'm unsure. 
That's why I'm speculating. It's better to be unsure, wouldn't you say, than sure and wrong? Having convictions or coming to conclusions is good if you have the right convictions and have come to the right conclusions. But dogmatism, you know, it, it's, it has its risks. If the light that is in you is darkness, what does scripture say? How great is the darkness. The Pharisees had the light of the world right in front of them. They couldn't recognize him. Why? Because their minds were clogged up with preconceptions and misconceptions. How wrong they were. Jesus even says of them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But because you say, we see, your sin remains. You know, point of application for us. As this country becomes increasingly polarized, Saint, be careful what you'll state is irrefutable truth. Consider positions contrary to your own. Examine evidence as much as possible without bias. And look for the merit in the opinions of others. There are different views I already alluded to as to when the rapture occurs. I study them all and look for merit in each one. Now to the four living creatures. Are they the seraphim in Isaiah 6? You know, they too had six wings. They too cried out, holy, holy, holy. It sounds like a match. But then again, they're similar to the cherubim in Ezekiel. Which are they? The seraphim or the cherubim? Or neither? I don't know. I'm speculating. I could speculate. You can too. It's okay. Just subline, I'm not sure. I think more significant than who they are is what they're saying. He is holy, holy, holy. Three times for emphasis. He is also almighty. You know what you get when you combine holy with almighty, all-powerful? Take those two in combination. You get someone who can execute Almighty, a righteous judgment on all that is unholy. We're going to get a lot of that in the weeks to come. Verses 9 through 11. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne... To him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. 
For you created all things, and because of you, your will, they existed and were created. His power and his eternity are highlighted again, both by the living creatures and the 24 elders. But there's some contrast between these two groups of worshipers there around the throne. The living creatures are focused on his holiness. The elders are focused on his worthiness. The living creatures are focused on who he is. The elders are focused on what he has done. I think some good guidelines for our own worship, wouldn't you say? When I consider those elders, they dismount their thrones and they cast their crowns. And it seems that's their regular practice. Like they're overwhelmed afresh by who he is and what he's done. You know, as a believer for decades now, I'm still awestruck by God. You know, I I have no uh, concern that I might be bored in heaven. What can I say? God is deep. You follow me? God is continuously awesome. You know, now we see in a mirror dimly. What will it be like face to face? I can only imagine. I won't write a song. One thing though that's obvious from our text, God is the focal point of heaven. And God being the focal point of heaven helps explain to me why we know so little about the interactions amongst those who populate heaven with each other. Everyone's focused on him and what he has done. Revelation chapter 5. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open this book and to break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book and to look in it. There it is, a book in the right hand, the hand of power, written on the inside and on the back, complete, everything's in there. And a strong angel, imagine that, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy. It emphasized to open this book is no ordinary feat. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to look, open it, or to look into it. You know, it doesn't say, the angel doesn't say, who's strong enough to open this book? Who's courageous enough to open this book? Who has enough bravado to approach God and take that book out of his right hand? He says, who's worthy enough? 
I wish our culture put a higher value on worthiness. You know, character does matter. When I think of this book, I tried to think, is there anything like this book? And I came up with this. There's the president. And see that briefcase with the red circle around it? That's called the nuclear football. And it's kept ever so near the president. And the vice president has one near him as well, in case the president is incapacitated. And opening that briefcase that only has three buckles, not seven seals, the president is able to initiate the launch of nuclear weapons. I hope that briefcase never gets opened, wouldn't you? Hope the same. But this book in the right hand of God in heaven, who's worthy to open that and to break its seals? Let's read on. Verses 4 through 6. Then John begins to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look in it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping, John. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John understood this book contains things authored by God. The book contains the word of God. And it's valuable. And since it's unopened, he weeps. But one of the elders tells John, stop weeping. You know, I appreciate the transparency of scripture here. John breaks down over what he perceives to be like uh, an impossible dilemma. And the elder does something each one of us should know how to do. And that is to encourage our fellow saints in times of despair to look to Jesus. And that's what the elder does. Stop weeping, John. Behold the Lion of Judah. Turn your eyes, saints, upon Jesus. Look in his full and his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And with that guidance, John looks. And he sees a lamb standing as if slain. That means crucified and risen again. He's an overcomer, wouldn't you say? And he can open the book, our text says, because he is overcome. Also note, the seven spirits of God, 
signifying the entire Holy Spirit, has gone out, has been sent out into all the earth. You know, when judgment comes on that day, no one's going to be able to say, you can't blame me. I never heard. I never heard. The Spirit of God went out into all the earth, our text says. Verses 7 and 8. And when I came, or when he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, when he had taken that book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Jesus approaches his Father with ease and comfort. No words are spoken between father and son. Jesus and his father are one. They act in unison. And when the living creatures and the elders see this, they fall down again and worship. This time the worship is directed to the lamb. There's no divided loyalty in worship if you worship father, son, and I'd add Holy Spirit, the one God in three persons, each deserving worship. It's striking, though, that the elders here are described as having a harp and golden bowls, which are full of, the, of incense. And then the incense, this metaphor, the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints are close to the throne of God. And they're contained in golden bowls because of their value. You know, the nearness to God and their, their value to God, our prayers, inspires me to pray. And then we'll wrap it up. Verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your own blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. They sang a new song. The song is new because the occasion is a first. Never in the history of the world has that book gone from father to son. One of the more significant events in the history of time. And why can the son take it? It explains because he was slain. The perfect lamb of God with perfect blood purchased people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He offered himself in exchange for our lives. One final point of application though, if it applies to you. But what of those who don't value the blood of Christ? Who don't see in him the merit of what he has done for them? You know, since Jesus has done everything he could to save everyone, it makes him just. It makes it just for him to unleash judgment 
on those who've rejected his offer. They had their chance. And time's up. Have you accepted his offer? Have you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these pictures of Jesus. Lord, we do have it as our ambition, those of us who know you, to know more of you. Lord, here in Revelation, we see you're going to come, not just to receive the saints, meeting them in the air, but then you'll come in judgment on the whole earth. And all creation that has grown for so long that things would be made right. And all the rebels who have railed against you will come, will be made to bend the knee. You'll come to reign. And Lord Jesus, we say with John, Come quickly. Amen.